You're listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I am your host, Jim Laird. Joining me on the line today on this very early 4th of July is Coach Joe Ken. And Coach Joe Ken is currently the head strength coach of the Carolina Panthers. And I've known Coach Ken for a long time. And Coach Ken is, uh, between his tier system and his block zero system, has really been a innovator uh, in the field of strength and conditioning. He's been in this game for a long time. And, um, what we're going to talk about today is, is probably one of the most important topics, uh, that I've covered on the show. Um, and, uh, not only for athletes, but for general population and humanity as well as a whole. And, uh, Super excited to have this conversation here because we can get it out to you guys because Coach Ken and I over the years at different seminars have had this conversation over and over again. So how are you doing this morning, Coach? Great. How about you, Jim? Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Coach, let's dive right into this sucker. And, you know, we've had this conversation over and over again for the last how many years that I've known you. And uh, could you just give us kind of what you're seeing and what you've seen over the years as far as athletic development and kids. And, uh, yeah, just take it away. Well, I think the biggest thing that we're, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're noticing is because of the lack of physical education at the middle school, the junior high and high school levels, and with the age of technology upon us, full-heartedly, we don't see as many younger athletes playing on their own, what I call free play, what most people call free play or just playground playing. That has limited their ability and their general movement skills that they would have learned through nobody's help. And we are starting them more in a organized free play environment than we ever had before. There's more kids signing up for specific sports at younger ages, whether that's parent driven or athlete driven, who knows? Uh, I think a lot of it is parent driven and it's more a form of babysitting than it actually has anything to do with exercise. And we've limited it ourselves as a population because our, our health as a whole has, has declined and our abilities to move and our ability to want to move has declined. So I think it starts, you know, with the just the general evolution of what has happened in our society. We've become lazier, not because we wanted to, because it's evolved to that way. Yeah, technology is a, is a huge part of that. And, you know, I'm seeing, you know, we're both come from a powerlifting background and, you know, I've talked on the show about strategies and, um, you know, when you powerlift, you develop certain strategies and, you know, I'm seeing these kids come in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 
and they're using strategies that we would use in powerlifting, uh, except it hasn't been developed through powerlifting. It's developed because they just don't play on their own and they have to use these, you know, what I would call a high threshold type strategies just to do normal things that, that, uh, that these kids should be able to do and do effortlessly and, and do it in almost like a flow state where they have to go into this emergency state because, you know, it's sad. I mean, I went out and watched, uh, some of these kids play baseball and stuff at a young age, and it looks like a professional practice. I mean, it's it's the way it's structured and and all that sort of thing. You know, we've talked about how um, you know you made a great point at your Block Zero seminar that I went to in Tennessee about um, how this has affected leadership at the NFL level. Could you comment on that? Because I think that was an insight that I've never really heard before, and uh, I think it's super important for people to understand that. Well, I'll back, I'll back, I'll back up one thing because you made an interesting statement when you talked about flow state from a mental standpoint. But I also think what we're seeing now when you're watching these kids move, you have, you know, in general, when we had free play and physical education and kids are running at, at an, running around at an earlier age, the flow state was in their ability to move just, you know, yeah. fluidly. And now what you're seeing is you're seeing it because so the way they're being taught how to do things, that flow state is now mechanical and, and therefore looks robotic. Yeah. And that's that's an that's an issue. If an athlete and again, we all call, you know, we talk movement flow. Like I, I really am impressed when I watch some of these athletes and or coaches go through some of the things on the internet with uh, kettlebell flow movements. Yeah. Like just turning to a you know, a swing to a to a clean, to a offset squat to a snatch to a, you know they're doing like uh circular movements with the bell around their back or watching people use the mace bells i mean that's a flow state that's a a nice easy fluid movement you know it's like yoga flow i mean that's right what it's supposed to be and because of the fact that we've lost the ability to just go out and learn on our own and figure things out on our own now everything's robotic. Hey, this is how you decelerate. This is how you land. It's not, hey, let's run out to the playground. Uh, let's jump over a fence. And if you don't land with your knees bent, you're going to learn pretty quickly. You got to learn. <laughs> you got to learn with your knees bent. And you know. But to go back to your question, I think it's happened at everything. And you know, and I, I learned it more at the college level. It really dawned to me about what what we're really lacking is you know, developing leaders. And now we have these colleges and universities paying people 25, 35, hundred thousands of dollars a year to come in and they teach their athletes how to be leaders. And I laugh at that. I said, because, you know, leadership was born on a playground in free play. You, you always saw that where, you know, you'd say, okay, let's uh, meet up at school before and we're going to play dodgeball. And then you get there and everybody's standing around and someone's got to take charge. And then someone's got to be a captain. And then, you know, you say, well, I'm going to be a captain. And then I'll say, well, I'm going to be a captain against you. But then you start picking sides. And then you find out, like, who wants to be picked on whose side, who who kind of shimmies to the back because they know they're not very good or they think they're not very good. And you learn a lot about people's, you know, personalities and their intrinsic motivations and their want-tos even at an earlier age. And now we don't get that because everything's coach-led. I've, I've always said, you know, I'd rather be peer led than coach fed. Yeah. 
And that's a big problem now because everything is coach fed. I mean, to the, you know, but a lot of it's because when we were out playing free play, now these kids are in organized sports. Yeah. You know, there, there's not the nine-year-old kid who's going to the park with a bunch of kids on a bicycle and playing all day. Those kids are now going to practice with a coach telling them what to do. And everybody, I mean, no one taught me how to swing a baseball bat until I was already swinging a baseball bat. Yeah. Nobody told me, nobody taught me how to throw until I was already trying to throw. So there's a lot of things that are positive about that. You know, it's like anything else. You continue, you, you, you learn a movement from, from like we said, from a mechanical standpoint versus a flow standpoint. I think it's going to lead to detriments down the line. You see it all the time with specialization at early ages and, you know, in rotational sport athletes. They've done one specific movement time and time again for such a long time that they never worked the opposite movement. And they yeah. want to know why they're having back issues or, or sure. lower limb issues or shoulder issues. So we see you know, that a lot. With, we see that a lot with golfers and, and, and baseball kids that have come in here. They've never, you know, swung the bat the other direction or they've never done anything besides swing a baseball bat. And it's like, you know, no, no kidding. Your back hurts. I mean, it's, it's pretty common sense. And then you get into, you know, kids being able to play for long periods of time with a low level intensity to build that aerobic base so they can handle more stress. You know, yeah, we, we grew up, it was days, hours on bicycles, days. you know? Yeah. Days of just running. Like, I mean, ride a bike to one park, go play, ride a bike somewhere. I mean, we rode bikes for days. I remember yeah. jumping on pogo sticks for hours. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't you know, develop that resiliency. We just end up with a more, a more fragile human being. And then the, the people that are, you know, genetically gifted make it and everyone else breaks. And that, and that's the sad part. And then you end up with kids that, that hate activity and hate sports. And then, you know, after they're done the organized sports stuff, they're, they're done. They, they don't want to do anything anymore, which is really sad. So, well, yeah, I think a lot of what's happened with the youth is because they've been forced into organized sports at such an early age, it doesn't give them a chance to have fun. Yeah. I mean, it gets right into it. And, and granted, I'll be the first one to tell you if they're going to keep score, then winning matters. I don't care how old you are. Yeah. I mean, if winning doesn't matter, don't keep score and just have them have uh, multiple scrimmages at younger ages so they can learn fundamentals and yeah. run around and have a good time. But if they're keeping score, then winning matters. Yeah. And, and then you end up you end up with a kid who's a really good pitcher in middle school uh, ends up pitch over pitching, and that's the only skill he learns. And then we wonder why he blows his elbow out at sixteen. You know. Um, well, that's why like, I'm a big fan of, and I wasn't. My wife really convinced me of this, and my sons grew up on it. Why I think one of the one of the things that's being overlooked in the development of football is flag football. And I never yes. thought I'd say that because I'm, I believe, you know, tackle football came up through tackle football, but I know that tackle football allowed several things, not so much for my oldest son because he wanted to be in a quarterback, but for my youngest son where he learned how to throw a football, he learned how to run. He, he learned social, uh, social skills, but he also learned awareness and kinesthetic abilities because you're chasing a flag. So he learned how to react to certain different modalities where as soon as he was able to play tackle football because of his body weight, they put an X on his helmet and he, and he was on the line. So yep. you know this through my nephews, 
Uh, one of my nephews who started football at an early age was a bigger kid. They the excellent helmet. To this day, he still can't throw a football or a baseball. Yeah. So I, there's I've, I've, that you can learn from different things. And I never would have believed that until I saw it happen in my own, with my own two eyes with my own kids. You know, and I, I talk to football coaches will ask me all the time, you know, what should I be doing for my off-season stuff or what should I, you know, and I'm, I'm constantly talking to them about putting their linemen in wrestling, you know, or playing, you know, uh, ultimate Frisbee with their team for conditioning instead of just running them to death, running them 110s after 110 after 110, you know, play ultimate Frisbee for an hour, you know, and, uh, you know, you'll, you know, you'll figure out who your athletes are and you'll get some of these guys moving in different ways. But a lot of them are just so caught on doing, you know, um, Nebraska strength and conditioning program or the University of Texas or whatever it is with these young kids when they really, really need just they just need overall development. And, you know, and we I've seen it. You know, I had a kid that I worked with uh, that was six, four in the eighth grade. Well, that's all he did was learn how to play center. And guess what? When he went when he was time for him to go to college, he didn't grow anymore. So he ended up having to go to a real small school. The kid was incredible, but he didn't learn how to dribble. He didn't learn how to, you know, he couldn't do anything but play center. And at six four, you're not going to play center at at, a, at an ultra high level in college. Um, there's another interesting example. There's a, a client that I have here in the gym, and his her little boy was having problems crawling, and was taking him uh, to a a child specialist uh, to help him learn how to crawl. And he, she had him in here and he was playing with these keys. And I said, watch this. I said, you want to learn how to get this kid to crawl? So I took the keys he was playing with. And of course he started crying and I threw him across the room and the kid crawled over and got them. And then I went over and picked the keys up and threw them on the other side of the room. And the kid crawled. I said, there, write me a check now, please. Um, it's just, we've, it's unbelievable how, how structured and mechanical we've, made things and, and, you know, nature in the end, um, knows best and has set it up, uh, so that we can figure this stuff out on our own. We screw them up by putting them in a desk and in front of a tablet. So. Oh yeah, man. It's, um, it's a big deal. And I, I don't see it getting any better because no, it's not, we have, we're not, cha- we're not changing it, uh, at the lower levels. I mean, no. Physical education used to be fun, and now it's like looked at a detriment. Like a kid goes, "Oh God, I got to take physical ed to get to graduate high school." <laughs> Hell, I wish I could have had phys ed. <laughs> yeah, I would have. I would, you know, we had. I loved phys ed, and I, I was an elementary ed, you know, major. So, and I took phys ed as an elementary ed, and so I had to play all these different sports in college, and it was it was awesome. To kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, you developed a program called the Block Zero program. Uh, why don't you tell people one why you developed that program and and what it's all about? Well, the first the, before I even knew what I was going to call it, I was aware at an earlier part of my career that we were missing the boat with how we were training athletes when they arrived on campus. You know, back then, for the most part. Most most everybody did the same program, whether you're a freshman or a senior. Obviously, we know that's not the right way to do things now as we evolve and learn the de- long-term athletic development models. And it just was amazing that the first thing that we would do 
when an athlete would show up was test him and we knew nothing about him. And I th- that's why I always laugh about some of the hypocrisies of strength and conditioning coaches when they'll talk to you about, and I think it's changed again. I, I do say, I do believe it's changed, but when they'd go, Oh, well, our number one job is prevention of injury. But yet the first thing we're doing with them is we don't even know their names yet. And we're maxing them out in the power clean and squat and the bench. But at that age, you could just, but at that time period, I believe it was around probably 1996. And I really just was like, these guys are just not ready. Some of them can't, you know, and I, hell, I can't either because of the way we were developed and nobody's fault, you know, can't do a push up right, can't do a pull up, have no, have no social, uh, excuse me, spatial awareness. You know, you, you teach them an overhead press the first time with just a standard 45 pound bar and they've lost their balance because they've never been put in those types of positions. So at night, you know, as early back as 1996, I just believed that there needed to be a programming more specifically for newcomers. And then as I've gotten older and more confident, and then it really started with my oldest son, I came to the concept of we need to have a system in effect or a program that gets kids prepared for the weight room. Instead of being thrown under a bar, we need to know that they're going to be prepared. And at that point in time, my son was getting ready to go into high school. And and I was concerned because I didn't know what high school he was going to be put into. And we've all seen the horror stories. And I've seen it as a college strength coach for 19 years with some of these freshmen look like who allegedly have been working in the weight room for four years with their high school coaches. It's a, it's a, It was atrocious. I'd rather you have not lifted a weight. Yeah when you first came and got me. So my number one really goal had two goals because I'm, I'm poor at the first one was to really emphasize gymnastics or body weight strength. I think that's crucial. All the athletes I've ever trained pound for pound, the strongest athletes were wrestlers in gymnastics. And I believe a lot of that is because their relative or gymnastic strength was such a was such so much higher than any other athlete that I coached. So I, I, I figured if you could move your, what I call your internal load, which is your body weight, and move that exceptionally well, <clears throat> it's only going to benefit when we put external lo- load in your hands or on your back or so forth. And then the second reason was I wanted to make sure from a technical standpoint that my sons were so technically proficient that no matter what was going on in that weight room, that that football coach couldn't get my kid hurt. So it was a combination of really working on just body weight type movement, not just not just strength, but you know, lunging and, and just learning how to move. And and if they could do that, there's no way, no matter what was going on and how things were being taught or yelled at. And in high school weight room, that my sons would be put at a detriment that injury could occur at a faster rate than someone else who knows nothing. Then it, be, then it became, well, let's bring this into the college setting with our freshmen. And luckily, I had worked with the, the football coach for a while, so there was no real debate. And my whole thing with that is, as you know, talent supersedes everything. And if we have a younger athlete who is far superior in talent, when it comes to the particular sport we're coaching, <clears throat> it's not going to matter one thing what they're doing in the weight room. They're going to show up on game day and get a lot of minutes <clears throat> and or start. 
So my thought again was if, if they're going to start, regardless of what I'm doing in the weight room, what does it really matter how I started? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, so, and, and I've had that conversation. Um, I've got a kid right now who's unbelievably gifted, just powerful, naturally strong. And he keeps getting hurt in the weight room at his college. And, and some of the stuff they're having him do is just insane. And I'm just like, dude, like the head football coach doesn't care how much you bench. That's not going to determine whether you play or how much you can squat. Um, like stay healthy, you know, use the athletic training staff to help you, um, you know, lie if you have to, you know, my back hurts. I can't do that. Um, stay healthy. Like just be, just cause you put 50 pounds on your squat, you're going to play regardless. So I think a lot of people get so caught up on the numbers that well, I'll tell you this, I was in college for 19 years. I was in a lot of recruiting meetings. We never offered a guy a scholarship on their weight room numbers. Yeah. Just saying. Never we don't draft guys on what they did in the weight room in college. No. You, you have you you know, it's 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 an integral part, and that's what coaches have to remember. It's not first. So as a strength coach and a lover of strength, you have to learn that very early that they don't love it like you love it. Well, and and they're not becoming it's not their sport either. Yeah, there is no, and, and you can't train a sport with a sport. I think that's another reason why you see people getting hurt in the weight room because some people believe that whether it's powerlifting based or Olympic lifting based, they're, they're writing programs that are more specifically for that sport. And there's a lot, and both sports are important into athletic based training. Believe me, I, that's part of my tier system, but they leave out the, what, what Dave Tate helped me turn the strength mobility work, like the lunges, the step-ups, the pistol squats, the chin-ups, the, the, the uh, excuse me, the, the extra ancillary work, you know, doing single-arm dumbbell row, rows versus barbell bent rows because, you know, those sports are very specific in the fact that you're getting evaluated on movements so you have to train specifically and or supplementally to continue to grow those movements where in athletics, we can't even mimic or even come close to the amount of reactionary movements that occur during an athletic event. We can't simulate that no matter how many ball we want to drop a ball and have a guy chase it or do partner mirror dodges. We're, we're never simulating what happens in the actual sport. The best thing we can do is build as much resiliency as possible and, you know, some variability and just, you know, try and increase power in a, in a, in a safe manner. Let's, let's kind of go off the beaten path here a little bit. You've been in, you know, college uh, strength and conditioning for years and years and years. And we've got all these parents out there that are spending, you know, thousands of dollars a year traveling and taking their kids to all these showcases and in, in hopes of getting this, you know, this scholarship that's going to pay for college. And um, could you, you know, comment a little, I'm not, you know, I've, we've already talked about this, so I know what you're going to say, but could you comment on that um, from what you've seen? Well, I saw it first and I took my son to one combine and I know it's big in football, bringing him to all these combines. And I, actually, I think it's died off or maybe I just don't listen anymore. I took him to one combine, would never take him again. 
because if you are not athletically enhanced to dominate those measurables, it's not, it's not, there's no value to it. You need to go to the type of camp that's on campus where coaches can work with you in specific skills. The, the problem with a lot of these parents are they're not doing enough edu- education and research on their own to find out that very few athletes who participate in what colleges call the Olympic sports or the non-revenue sports outside of basketball and football do not give out full athletic scholarships to everybody that they're allotted to. You have to remember, like, I don't know the numbers now, but let's just take track and field, for example. And I'm just going to give numbers that are close. I think women's track and field gets 18 full scholarships. Men's track and field gets 13. Do the math. Unless you're one of the greatest high school sprinters or throwers out there, there's a very good chance you're not getting a full scholarship. Like my son just earned a scholarship going into his fourth year of college, and the financial package that he got was a partial, but it was it was quality it was quality aid compared to what we had thought he would have gotten. You know, we're we're thankful and now he can consider himself a scholarship athlete, but these people are putting, you know, thousands of thousands of dollars into these private training thinking they're gonna get a scholarship and they may wind up going to a school and getting books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When they could just take some of that money that they're spending on hotels and all yeah. that other stuff and save it and they probably have enough for, you know, at the for end tuition, of Yeah, for four years. I mean yeah. what I hear I know I'll tell you another one that really and and where's the and where's the end game of it is uh, my two nieces competed in competitive cheer at a young age and the money that their mom was spending it was like they weren't even allowed to buy ribbons at the at the craft store they had to buy the ribbons for their hair directly from the team at like twenty bucks a pop when it was probably five cents at the craft store it was crazy. Well, you know, and, and the thing, I think people have, have lost what sports is really all about because, you know, you and I both know, like, the one the 1% of the 1% of the 1% get paid to play their sport. Like, the majority of people that are, that are playing a sport are not going to get paid to do that. And, you know, sports has developed leadership and toughness and learning how to deal with difficult coaches and difficult situations, learning how to win and lose. Um, you know, businesses love hiring athletes. You know, I had a kid that uh, I worked with from the time he was about 14 all the way through, ended up playing at, uh, at Vanderbilt basketball player. And he, he ended up getting into Vanderbilt because of basketball. He ended up getting an academic scholarship and went to law school, but basketball is what got him in to Vanderbilt because he probably wouldn't have gotten into Vanderbilt without basketball. So I think people are kind of looking at this from the wrong lens and, and you trying to like hit the home run with this and sports is great. I, you know, I think all kids should play some form of sports um, because of the lessons it teaches you. But, but I think parents are kind of going about this in the, in the wrong way, just because they're just in infor- not informed. Well, again, then, and who is it really about that? Is it about the, is it about the kid or is it about the parent? That's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Coach, um, why don't you tell people where they can find you 
And, uh, well, before I get into that, I just want to say, you know, this block zero stuff isn't just for athletes, you know, general population no, I would, is, I would go back to, yeah, for sure. I'm sorry, I butted in, but no. if I went, if I went back to the private sector and I'll be honest, I, I did not want to work with adult or, or boot camp style stuff, but what I've learned through my own evolution of training with movement and, and the lack of block zero that we have as adults, I, there, I could run a class that would last a minimum of an hour and we would never pick up a weight and yep. we would be worn out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, the block zero process is, is for any level because I, remember, block zero stands for the zero training age. So you could be 40 years old and never come in a weight room before and block zero is for you. Yeah, and, and we see that all the time, and you know, observing other programs and stuff. You've got people that have no fitness level at all, and they're being thrown under a bar, or they're, you know, it's the same thing happens in the in the private sector, and and you know, you need to build that base level of ability and that base level of resilience so you can handle more difficult training if you need it. You know, if 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 a general population person just did the block zero program. That's if their number one goal is being healthy and moving well. That's probably all they need to do. You know, they they don't need to go into anything crazy. But you know, I think people, you know, just want to start people off. Work not, you know, they won't don't want to start where they are, and that's why a lot of people it's fail. It's a cool thing to do. I mean, it's just like again, and I'm not I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but it was you know at the beginning of the CrossFit phase, how many people? I mean, they were getting rhabdomyolysis because the training program was too strenuous for their conditioning levels. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, that that's just something that coaches have to be aware of. I mean, you can't, a, a good coach to a great coach is going to know that when that, you can tell by a person when he walks in or when she walks in, what kind of level of, of conditioning and athleticism they have at that point in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, their answer to that was they're just not elite enough. And it's, 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 you know, you, you Hey, when you're a coach, you're coaching everybody from, you know, a first year walk on to a two time all American. So you have to be aware of where they're at and where they start because not one person's built the same. You know, that, that, that brings up an interesting point. You know, you've got everything from, you know, in your college career, you've got freshmen all the way up to, you know, Heisman Trophy candidates, you know, uh, and, and, you know, obviously the variation on the NFL roster isn't going to be as big. Talk about kind of how you treat um, your different approaches with different athletes, you know, especially in college at the different stages that they're at in their career. <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question because in college we – I try to treat everybody. I tell people I treat everybody fair, but fair is unequal. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I want it. But when it came to the weight room, we wanted everybody to, to work hard. And there were certain things that we learned with the higher level athlete. And that's, again, how the long term athletic development plan evolved for us was, man, some of these guys just don't need that. Yeah. And and if we've developed them right over time, I don't know if I want them to do that. You know, guys get bored because 
remember again, they, they, you would hope that through the part of their career, you've given them enough that they understand that there's an importance to coming in the weight room for their goals and aspirations as a football player, basketball player, tennis player, etc. But what I've learned more so going piggybacking ahead, and I thought I did a good job. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But what I've learned at this level is, you know, the communication with the athlete, the athlete feedback to me is the best evidence-based research you can get. They'll they'll tell you if things are working. They'll tell you what they need to work on. Especially the the more elite and more mature the athlete becomes, the more they can really give you an idea of what they're looking for and what they feel that their capabilities are lacking and what they need. At a younger age, they they you you need to lead them. I mean, again, I think at the end it goes back to what I said earlier. At the at the beginning of a process, it's going to be coach. It's going to be coach fed. But by the end, you're hoping it's peer-led where athletes are telling the younger athletes, hey, this is the process. This is, I mean, that's what happened a lot with us at Arizona State and a little bit at Louisville when we had this multi-level programming going on where younger kids like, I want to do what you're doing. And they're like, hey, man, just believe in the process and you'll get there tenfold. So it's, it's more of just watching and evaluating and building on what you've seen overall through a, I call a bell curve mentality because most people are going to fall within two standard deviations. So like 85% of your, of your population is going to be very similar. Then you have your outliers. You have your very uniques on one end that are just so gifted that those are probably the ones that you might see on TV one day in a professional sport. And then you have the other outliers who, they're going to need a lot more development than others because they're behind they're behind the the physical capabilities of allegedly what the norms are for that particular age bracket and or skill level absolutely and you know i think i think you know one of the things i try and accomplish when i work with kids is the ability to learn how to communicate with their strength coach you know to talk to the strength coach about Hey coach, you know, this certain exercise doesn't really work for me. Can we, can we, you know, can we pull off blocks instead of from the floor, you know, giving them the confidence to have an intelligent conversation with the strength coach and to give feedback. And, you know, a lot of times kids will ask me like, you know, for accessory work or something like how much weight should I use? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me like pick something and I'll tell you if it's stupid or not. Like, you know, I try to develop these, these qualities in these kids that they can make their own decisions for if they're training on their own, they can make their own decision or, you know, we're in the weight room with their strength coach. They can provide some feedback in a respectful way, um, you know, to help help with the process so that I just don't develop this kid that takes a sheet and has to have everything written out for him on the sheet. You know, I want to, what am I doing today? You know, how much, you know, I want them to be able to be part of the process and give me feedback as well as like what they like, what they don't like, um, that sort of thing. And and it's interesting because, you know, some coaches will be like, you know, that, you know, you're teaching kids to like, you know, um, maybe not go as hard. But I've found that if you empower kids, they actually want to work harder. Um, that's kind of what I've noticed. So, yeah, I think when you put them in those situations, especially if they're with their little group of their their training partners, 
you build in competition because if one guy grabs 80s, you know somebody's grabbing 85s. Yep. And sometimes that's a good thing. I mean, sometimes it doesn't have to be, you know, like I know a lot of people and I use it too, try to find what a, what's a good number for dumbbell bench. And you say, well, I think it's 40% of their bench max. And then now all of a sudden you've created percentage-based programs for dumbbell bench. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but depending on where it is in your programming, maybe it doesn't need to be programmed. It needs to be chosen and then figure out if they're going to fight the good fight with it or not. Yeah. Because I know I saw that a lot of times when we switched out Olympic lifts with jumping in the program and it was scheduled for five sets of five. Those guys were over there for hours jumping and trying to out jump some. I mean, you got so much more bang for your buck, but then, it, you know, they were, you know, hey, let's do you know, five sets of five at a 36 inch box for guys who can jump, you know, 40 plus. And next thing you know, they're attempting maxes at 50. <laughs> I, I don't think there's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely, you know, competition is a, is a great way to do that. And, and like you said before, you know, our job is to protect the athlete from themselves. And so when it starts getting a little too crazy, our job is to say, hey, whoa, 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 let's slow this down a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot. I tell people a lot of times I'm 99.9% I'm right in the weight room. You I know, tell I, you, or I tell you it's over. Like guy, guy will go like, Coach, what do you think? And I'll say three fifty, and I go, oh, I really want to do three fifty five. I go, okay, three fifty five. They'll miss. What do you think happened? Should have did three fifty. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if I don't I'm know if you. I'm not going to tell you. Like one of the things I believe, and people may not may not agree with this, is I I prefer my guys in a heavy lifting session or AKA a max session not to miss an attempt. Yes. I want them to leave with the confidence that they achieved their goal and had more in the tank rather than they achieve their goal, they go up and wait and miss, and all they can think about is it was a failing day because they missed a weight. Yeah, but yet they sent a 20-pound PR and they had, and probably had a few more in the tank. But as you know, as a as an ex-lifter, when, you, when you're training through a process and you have a specific goal in mind, you may smash that goal and it may look so easy that you got 20 pounds in you, but the exuberance of what just occurred, you're not getting that load. Yeah. Very rarely have I ever seen that where a guy could just keep going. Yeah. I mean, I saw with my own self this year, I trained for well over three years and in, and in one year's time, I went from getting stapled or maybe a couple inches off the ground with a 500 down, pound deadlift to smashing it. And people are like, oh, you had 25 more pounds in you. I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It's like that stock that shoots up real high. You know, sell it, take your profit. And instead of yeah. waiting, you know, waiting for it to go even, even higher. Jim Cramer talks about, you know, it's like pigs get slaughtered. And, you know, he's like, sell your stock when you get your nice 10, 12, 15% increase. Don't, don't, don't go for the 50 to 75%. Um, oh, yeah. Coach, I, I don't, when I played in college, it, it's interesting. And I, I don't know if you've observed this. I'm just kind of throwing this out there to get your perspective on this. But, you know, I had guys that I played, uh, football with that were, you know, I was, you know, I'm a five foot nine white guy and, you know, I had to bust my ass to, uh, to, to even be where I was. 
Um, and I, I worked probably too hard in the weight room and I pushed way too hard. Um, and partly because I loved it, but there were guys that seemed kind of lazy in practice and lazy in the weight room, but boy, oh boy, on game day, holy, I mean, you know, it's almost like they were, they knew, you know, to like save it for when it counted. Um, have you observed any kind of phenomena like that with, with guys? Um, I think they're always going to see those types of guys. I don't know if they're just saving it. I just think they know that, again, what I've learned at coaching at the professional level that, you know, there's, I call it small doses of excellence. Some guys don't need as much as others. And that's just a fact. And that's just the way it is. And you, and you as a coach need to understand that. And teammates need to realize that, yeah. that that is just a pure fact. And that would be one of the things that I've learned at this level. If I did go back to, the college level, how to really, and we talked about this, how to really create something very unique for the, for those guys. Because you're going to have, if you, depending on the level of school you're at, you're going to have those one or two guys that they just don't need it. And that's just the way it is. And I don't care what anyone says. It's not going to affect them if their program is very much altered than what you're giving the rest of the crew. And again, that's the that's your outlier stuff. That's where that's the true art of coaching now is where you've got to look at this guy from a totally unique perspective because he doesn't fit. I mean, I have several guys. I mean, we're still tier system based, but I've got several guys that don't even their programs look nothing like a tier system because it doesn't have to. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's the probably the hardest part of working with a team is you know having some sort of structure but also playing to the individual at the same time or even in here with with my with my crew well i think um, it goes back to where it's not it's not about you right it's about them and if it was about me everybody would do tier system everybody would be squatting the way i want them to squat everybody would be doing this <clears throat> and just can't you can't have it happen well, I, th- I think the hardest part is, 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 you know, especially for like college programs is still keeping that team, you know, so it's not a complete riot and a mob where everybody's doing whatever the hell they want, but there's enough wiggle room for individual differences. And that's a, you know, and, and then people, you know, having athletes and even clients are like, well, you know, that client's doing this. How come I can't do that? Or, you know, it, it, it it's, it's pretty sticky and complicated. And like I've told, a million interns that have come through here over and beat them over the head time and time again, your people skills are what are going to make you good. You're going to survive, live or die on your ability to work with people like that's that and to relate to people and to be able to build relationships with them. That's, you know, in my opinion, that's probably the biggest skill that, uh, that needs to be developed if you want to be in this business for a long time. Well, it's like they said, I think it was uh frosty wrestling, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yep, absolutely. Well, Coach, I appreciate you coming on this morning and uh, on this 4th of July early. And uh wanted you tell people where they can get a hold of you and where they can find your your uh, your products and your information. The Block Zero program is, is, is excellent if you're a college strength coach or even just uh, work with general population. That would be a great place to start. And, of course, Joe Ken's tier system 
the book you can get, you know, on Amazon, I believe still. Um, Coach, go ahead and tell people where they can get a hold of you. Well, the easiest is uh, www.bighousepower.com. And then I'm on social media at Big House Power. That's the easiest probably ways to get to me. Absolutely. Well, Coach, thanks for joining us this morning, and uh, great luck to you in this upcoming uh, NFL season. Jim, man, always a pleasure. Great seeing you earlier this year. Thank you for uh, having me on. You're welcome. And thanks again for joining us for another edition of the Jim Laird Show, brought to you by Body IOFM. Please continue to support Kiefer in his endeavors so I can continue to do this show. You've been listening to The Jim Laird Show with your host, Jim Laird. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. Don't miss the next episode of The Jim Laird Show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful. 